This is must watch with Gene Bentley and Brandon Katz. Even when we're sleepy, the show goes on. And uh, yeah, Gene, I'm excited because we have a lot to talk about today. And it's also kind of a return to the roots, the origins of this podcast, because as as listeners who started with us from day one know, this started as must watch Netflix edition, where all we did was cover Netflix. We've since broadened that out to all of streaming. But today we're going heavy on the Netflix, which I'm I'm excited about. It feels like coming home, Gene. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that Netflix has definitely had a like second half heavy year in terms of really big releases. I mean, everyone has because, you know, pandemic, obviously. So it makes sense, but um, it feels like a really good time to get back there and talk about, um, you know, the streaming service that we all know and love. I'm glad that you mentioned second half heavy because we are going to get to that in a little bit, which I'm excited about. But we got three main topics for you guys today. Number one, a new global hit for Netflix is on track to become its most watched original series ever, which is saying something. Uh, Number two, Netflix recently set a record with 44 Emmy wins last week. 44, most ever. And uh, also, Netflix has a mountain of highly anticipated upcoming originals in October. So you guys can fast forward to any of those if you you want, but I suggest you stick around for the whole conversation because we're going to start it off with the phenomenon that is Squid Game, Gene. Squid Game. Squid Game, baby. (laughs) Squid Game life. Um, Now, if you had told me that Squid Game, anything called Squid Game was going to become a phenomenon, I wouldn't have believed you. And that just goes to show you my intuition isn't very good, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know that anyone could have predicted the kind of hit that this would become, especially since, as you know, Netflix is a place that distributes a ton of great content from around the world to us here, particularly us in the U.S., where we have not had access to that content for many, many years. So yeah. it's... Uh, It's a surprise, but also pretty cool. (laughs) It is cool. And it comes along at just the right time because of what you just mentioned before. So after a massive 2020, where Netflix added a company record 36 million new subscribers in one year alone, they've actually lost customers in North American markets this year amid, you know, a pretty snoozy summer of content, a pretty snoozy year. I mean, the first month of the year had a Bridgerton Hangover from their December 25th release. It had Cobra Kai, it had Lupin Part 1. But other than that, I mean, you've had a Ginny in Georgia, you've had a Firefly in Lane, but it has not been the year that they wanted. I think that's kind of almost punctuated by Jupiter Legacy's amazingly public and expensive flameout. So they need a back half surge. And it does look, Gene, like a comeback is afoot thanks to a trio trio of international September releases. We got Britain's Sex Education Season 3, which is delightful. We've got Spain's Money Heist, which I know you're all about. And we've got, most important of all, South Korea's Squid Game. Ted Sarandos, co-CEO of Netflix, said earlier this week, Squid Game is currently on pace to become Netflix's most watched original series ever. Bigger than Bridgerton, bigger than The Witcher, bigger than Stranger Things. So to start, Gene... Can you even believe that? Like, just, is that insane? Am I crazy? Or is this something that makes sense on paper? I don't know. I, okay. So I think that is crazy. (laughs) Um, 
it's also really awesome. I think the craziest part of this is that it's only been out for a week or two, you know, like 11 days. Yeah. At the time of us recording this. Yeah. 11 days, two weeks by the time it comes out. It's that is insane. That is insane. If it is on that quick of a track. Um, and I think that Netflix's global reach is really being felt here. And I think that is really, really awesome because, um, South Korea is a place that has, you know, a ton, like a huge film and TV industry. And and Uh, we're going to get to that. I want to talk about South Korea as an exporter of premier entertainment. Yeah, exactly. So it like would make sense that something that they have produced is becoming this big of a hit, but, um, but why this one in particular, I'm not quite sure it's, (laughs) but it's really cool. (laughs) It is cool. And it's just, it goes to show you, you said the global footprint, I would have never thought from a, just a business standpoint that a South Korean original would become the biggest Netflix in the world. I would have thought uh, completely arrogantly from a cultural perspective that an English language original would, would have probably done that. And, you know, an English language original did previously hold the title uh, and we'll see where the final numbers come. But it is so cool to see the travel ability. And I don't know if that's a word, but you know what? I'm using it. <laughs> of something so bizarre and crazy. And I want to put this out there for for anyone listening. I'm only about two and a half, three episodes in. I haven't even finished the show and I'm already like, yep, I get it. I I can't believe this is the hit, but I'm still addicted to it. I still really like it just in those early episodes. And I know it gets crazier from here. Yeah, I mean, literally same. I just started it. So we're not even, we are not in danger of spoiling anything for anyone, but it is bananas and it is really cool. (laughs) So for for anyone who hasn't checked it out and that would be reasonable because again, if we're talking about Netflix as a hit maker, this had zero pre-release hype. Absolutely zero. It wasn't a case of a new season of Stranger Things dropping. It wasn't like a highly anticipated binge weekend. This is a pure old school word of mouth hit that has become a post-release phenomenon, which says about Netflix, hey, we have multiple ways of creating a hit, not just one, even though they fell ass backwards into it. Let's be real. (laughs) But, But for anyone that doesn't know, Squid Game, it tells the story of a group of basically 456 people who are invited to risk their lives in a mysterious survival game with a cash prize. Basically, a bunch of desperate poor people are more or less coerced, convinced, whatever you want to say, into playing children's games with life or death stakes for a big cash prize. And, and it's the show is, you know, indictment of capitalism and socioeconomic divide and consumerism and our obsession with entertainment. And it is certifiably insane. So, so Gene, what is it about Squid Game specifically do you think that has turned it into an unlikeliest of phenomenon? Okay, so first of all, Squid Game as a title is really interesting. Oh, yeah. Like, you're like, what is that? What does that mean? So literally title alone, I know it's just, you know, kind of the translation of, you know, they're playing this, there's playing kids games and, you know, it's a trans literal translation of one, but I think that in general stands out. I think, um, you can tell when you start it that it has a Netflix budget behind it because it That's is true. beautiful. It is beautiful. The graphic design of the titles are beautiful. The the film like 
everything is gorgeous. And, um, you know, I only watched my first K-drama um, a little bit earlier this year. I watched um, Crash Landing on You because I was like, you know, I've watched so much TV from around the world on Netflix. I haven't started K-dramas yet. And I know it's such a huge, robust genre. What should I start with? And people on Twitter are really awesome and suggested that one. And I watched it. I devoured it. It was incredible. That was <laughs> definitely a, uh, you know, love. But just in general, as soon as I finished watching that, or even as soon as I'd gotten like halfway through, I started getting um, rows suggested to me of so much more Korean content. The algorithm. Um, yeah, the algorithm. She works hard and she works well because I'm like, oh, yeah, I would watch that. Oh, yeah, I'd watch that. I haven't had time to start another one just because, you know, like fall TV and all that. Yeah, of course. Starting. But um, but. It, it really, I think the algorithm knows that there's a huge appetite for this content out there. I know so many, I know so many people, um, you know, like just, just here in LA that I'm friends with or that I know casually who watch K-dramas, um, who have no like connection whatsoever to South Korea. They just got introduced by a friend, like kind of like I was and they're like, oh, this rules. It's really fun. Yeah. It's really like you can tell that the productions are fast, but they're good. They're like, it's not like some, you know, like the fact that they produce so many of these shows a year, you'd be like, oh, okay. So they're not spending that much money or like, you know, sometimes it's like, you know how they make like 75 Hallmark movies at Christmas yeah, time exactly. and you watch them and you're like, Ooh, they got that like D team, uh, hair and makeup. <laughs> like that, that has not been the case in any of the, you know, k-drama content that i've seen uh yet but um but it's just this huge robust genre that um i think has been untapped by like a general um english speaking yeah audience Definitely. I, I, you know that's there's that and then there's the k-pop factor the fact that i think that Americans have been getting into uh, Korean content just in general, you know, in music as well, in, in, in kind of an unprecedented way, thanks to BTS and other K-pop groups. And I think this is a definitely a natural extension of like, oh, I love this music that I'm listening to from South Korea. Why don't I try this show that yeah. I can see is from South Korea? So it does seem like Americans are best at basically stealing pop culture like like no seriously mainstream pop culture has always borrowed or straight out stolen from urban african-american culture here in america now that we're a global society it seems like we are like oh wow let's let's basically uh transport south korean pop culture to american and and westernize it and kind of globalize all of that it does seem like we're metastasizing <laughs> and there's, there's pros and cons colonialism is real <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no colonial. I do not support colonialism. I'm no, no, no. I just mean are... like I just mean like it's different. And yep, that's kind of kind of our mo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm I'm glad now a wider audience can be exposed to this because I love good content. And this is good content. What I'm not glad about is we're like okay, Netflix, American company, we're claiming it as our own. When it's yeah, you fronted yeah. the bill, but it's not it's not yours. Come on, guys. Yeah. Well, you you mentioned the production values. I'm glad you did. Netflix has invested upwards of 500 million into South Korean programming this year alone, which, which says that they realize it's a huge growth area. 
And I would highly recommend everybody go check out the period zombie drama Kingdom on Netflix, which I loved. I really am hoping for season three soon. Uh, We've seen films like Parasite and Train to Busan from South Korea break through with mainstream audiences and critics alike. I'm wondering how would we describe the South Korean filmmaking and storytelling style that has made it such a globally popular exporter of entertainment? Because you mentioned they pump out a lot of content, but they seem to match the efficiency with the quality as opposed to the Hallmark channel. Yeah, 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 (laughs) exactly. So I would say that in the Korean entertainment that I have seen, there is a really um, interesting point of view. There's a really meaningful point of view. There's a lot of social commentary. And I think that no matter what society you live in, that does transfer like that does translate because totally we all are kind of dealing with the evils of capitalism, you know, to take parasite for an example, though I'm not sure that all Americans really fully captured the nuance of that message, but you know, it's fine. <laughs> but I think that um, American box office is really focused on popcorn movies and money and you know trying to top the next thing and we're also obsessed with existing ip and it and in south korea, south korea they're like creating new concepts and you know it's movies that you couldn't get greenlit now here yeah. i think <laughs> and, and a lot of the breakouts seem to have a genre slant which people love you know that is the most popular content that sci-fi that fantasy or that high concept action adventure and squid game i mean who would have thought on paper hey i'm gonna lock up a bunch of people make them play kids games for life or death stakes and uh yeah that's that's gonna be a global sensation i would have never thought that but it's this cool mixture of like hyper surrealism and realism yeah it's really interesting it kind of reminds me did you ever watch um the movie battle royale the japanese movie i don't believe so no my friends and i really loved that movie in when we were in high school and that was kind of a different um these sirens are really i'm maybe they are coming from they are gene you are a mass <laughs> witness on zoom right? Um, (laughs) no, um, so that's a very different concept, but it's also similarly like bloody. It's like a kids who are playing, you know, a game to the death. Um, and you know, it, it kind of captured an audience in that same way. And it's very violent. It is, it is bloody. And I think squid game is that, but it's also so slick and so, uh, stylish, like I said, um, it's beautiful. And I, I think that you don't really like, I, I don't know how much, um, explanation you need, right. When you start watching something, you're like, this is good. <laughs> like <laughs> you just keep watching. I am very curious to see if this global sensation, all the viewership, all the attention being paid to squid game translates into any actual awards because Netflix is, like I said before, coming off the most successful Emmys run in history. They were last week, Netflix walked away with a record 44 statues for comparison, the closest rival HBO, HBO max only quotes 119. Uh, shockingly, Gene, Netflix had never once won a category Emmy before. So no best drama, no best comedy, no best limited series. Hulu and Amazon had both beaten them to the punch. This year around, The Crown won for best drama as well as best directing and writing for a drama series. They won, they got a bunch of acting awards. 
And uh, the Queen's Gambit, also with 11 wins, one for the individual uh, limited series award, which is highly coveted. So, Gene, do you think this is a fluke, given all the discussion recently that, you know, Netflix has become CBS and is really just aiming for middle-of-the-road broad appeal programming? Or do you think they can carry this momentum forward into future Emmys domination in the top categories? You know what I think is really interesting is that most people probably wouldn't even have realized that they hadn't won that top award. And I think that Netflix is such a juggernaut that people would just have assumed that they would have won. And I think this year was really unique because obviously of the pandemic and the challenges that arose, but like the crown has been nominated every, you know, pretty much every other season that like it's one for acting before. And the fact that it finally took home the category prize is a little bit of luck in that there weren't other huge, huge series. It was competing against that was like a runaway winner. And could it have been, could the crown have won or was it deserving to win in any of the other years that it was nominated? Absolutely. It is and always has been a very well-made show. Very, But I believe show. you've said season four, this past one that it just won for, is your favorite of the show, too, yes, at the it same is. time, it right? It was the yeah. juiciest. It had all of the Princess Diana stuff. It's coming closer to, you know, stuff that we... Uh, we, as in, like, maybe a little bit of the younger generation still <laughs> the, remember. The royal we. Terrible <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> Drink. That feels like a drinking game. It does. (laughs) But yeah, I I think that I think that they can carry it into the future because I think that they had that swagger before it just had never clinched the winner. And I think that although Netflix does invest in a ton of stuff, obviously, it's sometimes it feels like thrown against the wall and see what sticks. Um among those things that it is investing in are things that it feels very, the company clearly feels very strongly about and feels very confident about. So I have no doubt that there are future uh, sensations in there somewhere. And sometimes things come out of the woodwork and you're like, how did that become such a huge success? (laughs) You know, Squid Game, oh my God, no one would have expected it was like, it's been number one on Netflix for however long. In multiple countries. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's, it's, it's like some, and sometimes some random show will come out and everybody will talk about it and you'll be like, how is everyone, we, we're talking about that now. Uh, but then a show like the crown comes out and you're like, well, obviously this is going to be awards fodder. Cause it's that's reverse what it engineered for Emmys. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So how much do you think it pissed Netflix off? because it's the biggest streaming service in the world. It spends the most on its awards campaigns that Hulu and and Amazon beat it to the punch for category wins. Do you think it was just a thorn in in Netflix's side for years? Oh, hell yeah. Do you, don't you think? I mean, it's also not as if those shows that beat them to the punch, um, Handmaid's Tale and um, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. um, It's not like those weren't deserving shows either, but I think Netflix had a little bit of like, are you kidding me? I've been doing this for longer. I've put in some more money. Are you, are you kidding me? They win already. But, I just see you know, uh, Ted Sarando staring in the mirror and having a Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler moment. Just like, raw, Yeah. yeah Full yeah. rage. 
exactly but then you look at this year and the big winners were streamers right it was the crown and it was ted lasso for which is apple tv so yeah you know <laughs> i also think that broadcast tv was probably hit the hardest by covid because those aren't like these streamers can film these shows and have them in the can for months if not years and so they had content ready to go in the way that broadcast networks did not during the pandemic um but i also kind of think that the television industry is finally at that like peak of of it's it's gonna what we know is going to collapse it is not going to be this way for very much longer and so it's really going to be a question of how everything shakes out that is going to be a very good topic for a future podcast (laughs) i'm very excited for that now i know it's completely different mediums and they have nothing to do with one another but do you think this awards breakthrough for netflix affects its looming oscars campaign at all or do you think it you know it it means nothing in the greater awards conversation i don't know i don't I feel like the television Academy and the film Academy are such different bodies that I don't know that that would make a huge difference. I'm sure the like momentum of being good and like winning certainly carries you, you forward. Um, I would turn that question back to you. What do you think? That's a really good question. Obviously we got looming Oscars campaigns coming up netflix again infamous for outspending the competition but have yet to win the best picture award and on matthew one of matthew baloney's recent uh newsletters for his new startup puck news he said uh basically he he's talked to some oscars voters that have said even though they thought that a certain netflix movie deserved to win they refused to vote for it because it was netflix and it wasn't a traditional theatrical movie i wonder how close we're coming to truly breaking that stigma once and for all so i don't know my my gut says no that the emmys breakthrough has nothing to do with oscars but i just think it's an inevitability that netflix takes down the uh the best picture award and not that it's necessarily going to be a front runner but i'm super excited for don't look up in december with leo and jennifer lawrence and meryl streep and all that but since we are looking ahead since we're talking about the future Let's now talk about the upcoming content for a second, because October, Gene, has some pretty big releases. I'm going to hit you with just a a small handful that stood out to me when I was looking over the list. The Guilty, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, directed by Anton Fuqua, coming October 1. Uh, On My Block, season 4, October 4. Uh, A new animated Pokemon movie, shout out to all my nerds, October 8th. You season 3. Yeah, let's go. Is that that a thing? Was that a Pokemon thing? Pokemon, Pokemon Go, Go is a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. It's a game. You're hip. <laughs> what You're cool. Say, You're with it. What do people say for Pokemon? Are there like sayings? Uh, I just know the theme song that absolutely yeah. slaps. Sing, will you sing it? I want to be the very best. Like no one ever was. Down, 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 out. <laughs> and to, to hear the rest of it, you have to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we uh, will yes. fulfill this promise. Oh, yeah. Believe me. I'll, I will I'll learn it. We will duet. Yeah. I would love it. <laughs> uh, we got you season three coming October 15th. We got Lock and Key season two coming October 22nd. We got Army of Thieves, the uh, Army of the Dead, Zack Snyder spinoff, October 29th. Uh, so Gene, I'm, you know, I'm excited for the Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Um, I'm only on season two of you, but I'm excited to catch up. 
Army of Thieves will be a big evaluation of Netflix's franchise development abilities. What do you make of the upcoming schedule? And are there any major titles you saw that I didn't hit that you think need to be mentioned? I can't think of anything else, but let me tell you, I am so excited for people to watch you season three. I have watched the screeners. I am not allowed to say what I thought, um, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's fine. Um, you know, if you don't hear from me, just know that it was worth it to tell everybody that um, I loved it. It's so good. Ooh. I can't wait for you to finish season two so you can get down with season three because it is so good, so juicy. Um, it's so soapy and I loved it. <laughs> yeah, because to me, and again, I'm only on season two of you, but to me, it's it's always, it's been enjoyable because of what you just mentioned soapy juicy all of that but it's also been a dexter knockoff to me you know he is a poor man's dexter with with the voiceovers and the the pseudo noir and you know the, the compulsion focus so i i don't really get why people are falling in love with him you know like i know there's like a contingent of online fans that are like ooh, Penn badgley ooh. and like i get it he's got cheekbones fine but his character joe is a sick puppy and I don't know, at, at least, at least Ellie Dexter was a sick puppy too, but he, at least he had somewhat of a code. This guy's just killing Willie. Yeah. Nilly. I was going to say you like, I see what you mean about the comparison, but also like Joe is bad. Like Joe is just bad. Joe thinks yeah. he has a code, but Joe is a psycho stalker, killer, serial killer. So <laughs> that's, yeah, uh, and, that's very different. And the reason I haven't <laughs> finished season two, if we want to speak of juicy and soapy is because my girlfriend introduced me to desperate housewives the first time. And I'm like, oh, you know what? This is my kind of trash. It's delightful. I would say that season three of you might remind you a little bit of desperate housewives. Ooh, interesting. So that, uh, that's a good huh? double feature that I'm working on right now. Huh? Exactly. Exactly. It'll be really good. But yeah, there's so much coming out and like, they had this huge fan event uh, called To Doom where they just announced Doom. thing after thing. And uh, so it's we also know that we have coming up um, Emily in Paris's second season is going to come out. Which, you know, Emily year. in Paris gets a season two, but Teenage Bounty Hunters doesn't. Come on now. Listen, pour one out. That's another one. If you're playing the, the must watch drinking game, you can drink. <laughs> um, Which and- we got to listen back to one of our episodes and play it. Yeah. Yeah. We also have season two of The Witcher coming out. I believe that's the first week of December. We have season two of Bridgerton, which is coming out in 2022. Um, what else did they announce? There's just so much on the Cowboy horizon. Bebop. That's what I'm like, most oh, excited for. Hell yeah. Cowboy Bebop is coming out and they released the um, title sequence, which looked cool as hell. Yeah. Didn't you have a great tweet thread about that recently? Yeah. Uh, I no, it was you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you, you had something insightful to say. It was about international programming, and you know, I just can't remember what it was off the top of my head. That's fine. But, um, I will take credit for saying something insightful. Um, I don't know what it was, but I will accept that. Thank you so much, Brandon. Yes, I'm very thoughtful. Um, but yeah, Cowboy Bebop is gonna be so cool. Um, there's just so much good stuff headed our way, which is exciting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's, you know, what's on the horizon for Netflix. Obviously, we will be here with you to break it all down. In the meantime, if you guys want us to 
cover anything, you have any questions, whatever, hit us up on Twitter at hygiene at great underscore Caspi. Subscribe, leave us a five-star review so we can keep giving you all this great juicy breakdown and previews and recaps and all that good stuff. And uh, also get ready because we're entering October and we are going to be do- doing episodic weekly recaps of Succession Season 3. Hey, drop that beat, Scott. <laughs> My favorite song. <laughs> yeah, please do. I, I think I need anyone who follows me on Twitter knows I, I love to rap. I think I need to do a succession. Uh, I think I need to do a succession preview of season three to the succession theme song rap. Oh my God. I love it. It would be amazing. Or Gene, you have to get a guest verse. <laughs> it'll it'll, oh, no, yeah. it'll definitely be closer to horrible, but you know what? I have fun. <laughs> no, I mean, then that's all that matters. Hell yeah, man. Uh, I can't wait to talk about succession, which we will be doing on a weekly basis. Very exciting. Get ready. Um, get ready for that. That's fun. And in the meantime, leave us a review, drop us five stars, you know, all those fun things. Please, please, please. please. (laughs) All right. Until next week, everybody.